Uh, if you look in the bulletin, it's, uh, it's the title of the message is The Basket. And so we're going to take just a few minutes here and then just talk about the basket in which uh, that Moses was put into. And uh, we're going we're to go into a little bit of detail there. So if you will, got your Bible. Exodus chapter number 2, you don't have to stand just because we'll read 10 verses here. So uh, let's go ahead and read in verse number 1. The Bible says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. And a woman conceived, and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him in an ark of bulrushes and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags by the river's brink, and his sister stood afar off and to wit what would to be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she went to her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his, her, his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Just by way of introduction, we'll get started here. Last couple weeks we've been talking about Moses or introducing the, the, the life of Moses. And so we see in chapter number 1 we talked about the king. In verse number 8 we didn't know who Joseph was. And we understand that it, just, it wasn't passed down from generation to generation. Knowing who Joseph was, Joseph was a pretty uh, important character that brought uh, that brought uh, food to the people of Egypt and food to Israelites. We see also that they had the affliction on God's people in verse number 11. Because the king didn't know who Joseph was, he began to afflict the children of Israel harder and harder, make their job harder. And then he decided after affliction, after causing more work for them and causing more work for them, he decided that he would kill the newborn babies. In verse number 22, the Bible says, And Pharaoh charged all the all his people, saying, Every son that is born, ye shall cast him into the river, in the year, and every daughter ye shall save alive. So at this time, so picture with me for just a moment, Pharaoh, the, the king, if you will, he says, Every child that's born, throw him in the river and kill him. If he's a boy, every daughter save alive. So he did, he was doing this to try to cut down the population of the Israelites. Now, from just from history of, of reading this, there was about three million Jews, roughly, and so they were they were becoming high in number and they were attacking uh, per se. 
the Egyptians, he did not want them to become stronger. He was afraid that if they could become stronger, that they would join his, his enemies and so on and so forth. And so he wanted to get rid of them. So he started killing the babies. Well, now we read the story and we've read the story. So let's look at this for just a moment. This lady has a baby. And uh, this lady's son is about three months old and she could no longer hide him. She was hiding him because she knew that if he, she was found, then they would kill the baby. Well, this baby was no longer could be hid. Now, I'm saying Ray Lindsay over there, after about three months, she would not be able to be hid anymore because she would cry a lot or she would cry loud. As a little baby, you can hide the cries, but the older they get, the louder the cries get. And so the older that child got, the louder the cries got, and she could no longer hide Moses anymore. And so what she did with this baby, she decided that she was going to take this baby, this Moses, and put him in a, in a, in a boat, in a basket. And she took this basket down to the river, and she put the three-month or four-month-old baby into this basket. Now, I, in my mind, I picture this river is the what we would probably say probably the Nile River, a very nasty river, a, a river full of crocodiles or alligators, and I, I not oh I don't know exactly what's over there. So one of the other I, one is a gator here. I think it's probably crocodiles over there. So as you think about this, she was putting her baby into the basket and her basket onto the river that God would preserve her son's life. Because in verse number 22, they were told to just throw the baby into the river. I can't imagine if you went to that river back then that there would be tons of baby bones at the bottom of the river. But this mama decided that she would do something different and trust God and believe God that he would take care of her child. So let's look at this basket for just a moment. So let's look at the contents of the basket. What's the contents of the basket? The verse number three. The Bible says that she took the child and put the child therein. I can't even begin to imagine trying to take Lindsay and putting her in a basket and putting her onto the uh, Saline River, Miss Stacy. Can you imagine doing that? And now, what? Sabine, I said Saline. I said Saline. I'm thinking Arkansas here for just a moment. My mind went to Arkansas. Can you imagine putting her into the Sabine River and just being like, okay, well, you know, the law says that I'm just supposed to cast my kid into the river. But I'm going to put my baby into the basket and put him onto the river and trust God and believe God that he will save my child. So, <coughs> so we put the basket onto the she put the basket onto the river. And then not only this, but I see that not only do we see the contents of the baby, or the contents is the baby, and then number two is the complete faith to do this. I don't know about you, I know where I'm at, I don't know that I would have enough faith to put my child in a basket and put her in the river. You know, now, I, I, as I think about this, the only way to preserve Moses' life was to put him in the basket. 
The only way that she thought possible was to save Moses alive, was to put him in the basket and put him on the river. Now, to me, in my mind's thinking, I'm thinking that's a little bit crazy. That's a little bit, uh, to put your child into a basket and hopefully that saves him. But if she didn't put, if she didn't put the baby in the basket, Moses would not have lived. Moses would have died. Moses would have been thrown into the river just like any other baby. But she had complete faith in God that he would take care of it. But think about this for just a moment. And I, I, I mean this, is as we look at this basket, I'm not talking about a baby. I'm talking about the trials, the troubles, the situations, the temptations, the the, the difficult times in our life, we need to put it in the basket and have faith in God to take care of the situation. The Bible says there hath no temptation taken you in First Corinthians, that God is not faith, that God is faithful and he will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with that temptation he'll make a way of an escape. And so God has made a way for us to overcome. He's made a way for us to to uh, to overcome the situations in our life. Trusting in him. When she put that baby in the basket, the only thing that she knew how to do was trust God that he would take care of it. And I believe this, and I know this, the only way, there's, there's situations in your life, there's situations in my life, the only way that we can overcome them, the only way that we can have true victory, uh, like the scriptures will portray in just a moment, the only way that we can get there is to put our contents in the basket and trust God and give it to God. We read this morning in the book of Colossians where the Bible says that he nailed it to the cross. You know, realize that he took my sins. He took who I was. He took everything about me and he nailed it to the cross so that you and I can have victory over that. And so we have things that we're hanging on to. We have things that we're, we're trying to hang on to. We shouldn't. We ought to nail it to the cross. Give it to the Lord. Put it in the basket. And trust God for it. So there she stands at the riverbank and pushes her child off into the river. And God saw fit to give her victory. So we see the contents, we see the complete faith, and then we see the conquest. Look in, in, this, in this verse. In verse number 4, the Bible says, And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. Jump down. The Bible says in verse number 8, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, She found the basket. She saw the baby crying. She, Pharaoh looks at her daughter. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter looks at her maid and says, And the maid, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Mo mother. Wow. Called the child's mother. And so this maid took the child's mother and brought Moses back to her mother, Moses' mama, to nurture, to take care of, to nurse, to bathe, to make sure that the baby was getting proper care. Think about that for just a moment. The conquest was that when she trusted God, he gave her the victory. When we trust God with what we have, He gives us the victory. Realize.
She's a nameless person. The Bible gives her a name. God gives her a name. And he tells it in his Bible. But not one person. Look, I, you can go you can go tomorrow. You can ask a bunch of people what was Moses' mama's name. But she played the most important role in Israel's history because she put Moses in a basket. If she doesn't put Moses in the basket... They don't have the victory. If she doesn't put Moses in the basket, they don't cross the Red Sea. If she don't put him in the basket, they don't get out of Egypt. But she put him in the basket. Very few people can actually tell you Moses' mama's name. It's not about the accolades. It's not about the pat on the backs. It's not about those types of things. She didn't do it to get recognition. She didn't do it to get a pat on the back. She did it to please God. Too many times in our Christian life we want to do things so that everybody will take notice. Look, did you see what I did? Did you see what I accomplished? Did you see what I did? But Moses' mama wasn't like that. She didn't care. She wanted to please God. She had her baby. She had complete faith. And God gave her the victory or the conquest. You'll never have conquest. You'll never have victory unless you put it 
the basket and trust God. So I ask you this question, what is it that you need to put in the basket and trust God for it? And ask God for it. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's sin. I don't know what it is. But you put it in the basket. And God will help you back in here. And believe God for it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for allowing us to be in your house tonight. I pray that in spite of me, you have used me. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us will examine our heart, examine our life. What's in our basket? What do we need to do? Lord, I pray that we would trust you for it. Alright, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll start there, and they're going to talk to, about Elisha, the call, we won't get all the way through uh, with this lesson tonight, but <clears throat> God works here in chapter 19, you will see that Elijah is... Uh, first part of the chapter is one that we studied. His, he was <clears throat> under the juniper tree. And then verses 9 through 6, 18, he goes, he's underneath. Uh, he's in a cave and he hears the still small voice. And when he's in the cave, God tells him something. He gives him some instruction regarding some prophecy that God was telling him what was going to take place in Israel. And then also the next man that would follow after him, being Elisha, being Elisha. So let's begin reading in verse number 16, and we'll read all the way through 21. Now understand, the Lord is speaking to him, the Lord is speaking to Elijah in the cave. Verse 16, if you want to tie the context in, we'll go ahead and read verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. So this is he's telling him what to do when he gets back. Verse 16, And Jehu, the son of Nimeshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of, of Abel-Mahalah, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room. So right there we see God telling Elijah... Elisha is the next man to follow you. It's pretty interesting that God told Elijah who the next man was going to be, but God didn't tell Elisha that he was going to be the next man. It's pretty interesting, but, but let's continue to read, and we'll, we'll read the story how Elijah goes to Elisha. Verse 17, And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, uh, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left my seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which thou which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which which hath not kissed him. So there was still there were seven thousand followers of the Lord, 
still at this time. And so this is, he's setting all this up. He's telling what's going to take place. And now he goes to Elisha. Now he goes to the place where Elisha is at. Um, Elijah does. And so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen. Now, who left the oxen? Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my mother and my father, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, uh, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So here's the call. Can you imagine this? The receive. Let's first of all let's look. Uh, let's look at this. What uh, Elisha was a young man. It gives us three verses of Elisha's following or the calling of Elisha to go with Elijah. It's a lot better. A lot more information. Regarding Elisha's call compared to Elijah's call. Because Elijah came on the scene. And the Bible says he's the son of Tishba. I heard he's the son or he's right there. Boom. And he's right in front of Ahab immediately. So it gives us a little bit more of information about him. So let's look at the receiver of the call. Okay. So what job did he have? He was a hard working farmer. And verse number 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I don't know. I've never necessarily plowed with oxen, but I have tried to use a tiller, and a tiller is pretty hard to use at some point if you're dealing with hard ground. I can't imagine what it is like using an ox, using an ox out there plowing the ground. But not only did he have one ox, how many ox did he have? He had 12 yoke of oxen. So he was a pretty big farmer. To use 12 yoke of oxen, he was pulling pretty good plow behind him, wouldn't you say? And so he was, a, he was a big farmer. Not only was he a big farmer, but his dad owned a pretty good piece of property for him to be doing and using 12 yoke of oxen. Wouldn't you say? Man, that's, that's a pretty hard job. Using out, yeah, go ahead. Uh huh. Plowing behind an ox. Plowing behind an ox. <laughs> Your grandma. My grandma, my mom, my daddy's mom. Yes, my daddy's mom. That's awesome. You got a picture of with the harness and everything around mm -hmm. the shoulders and walking behind the plow with the oxen pulling. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, I, you know, it's hard for me to visualize because yeah. I work with horses and mules mm -hmm. and everything in the field, but twelve. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Well, uh, that has to be a massive plow. Yes. More than one hook, more than one one drive, more than one hole. Yes. Uh, you know, making multiple 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 spots to to uh, to uh, plant in. You know, yes. multiple spots. Yeah. So I, I look at it and I'm like, man, this guy is dealing with a lot of a lot of weight. I mean, not only is he a farmer, but that's hard work. That is hard work. It's not like 
I mean, not nothing like it would be today. I mean, you've got to keep your eye on the plow and keep your eye going forward. You can't take your eyes off and look back. You know, you've got to keep, especially dealing with 12 of them, you've got to be working hard. I mean, this, he, and he was in his youth. He was, he was a young guy. The Bible says in, in Lamentation, chapter 3 and verse number 27, he said, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Do you know what he was doing? He was working for his daddy in his youth out there spending his sweat and tears and even blood out there on the field pulling, getting those 12 oxen to go. I mean, a hard work. Good, good that he was doing that. So who was the receiver of the call? Elisha. Now, Eli, or the, if you break down his name on the meaning, Eli is, is God. El Elohim. Uh, and Shah, Elisha, is a representation of salvation. And so his name means God is salvation. So this, this, here he comes on the scene. We have Elijah coming to Elisha, and Elisha is bringing God is salvation. Is there any other salvation given among men? No, there's not, other than God being the answer for salvation. So we see what job he had, who it was that God called, and then where did God call him from? Uh, I can't really say the name of that town that he was from. Uh, I'm not exactly for sure how to pronounce that name of that town, but that town, A Abel... However you say that, I'm sorry. Meloha? It's not Nederland. No, it's not Nederland. That's for sure. This, this name of this town, they, uh, from what I've read, they don't know exactly where this town is at or where it would be placed on a map. But they do know the reference to this town. If you remember back in the book of Judges, there was a, a judge named Gideon. Gideon had 300 men, and he stood on the sides, and those men, the men that they defeated of the Midianites, those men were from that town. So these Midianites were from the hometown of Elisha. And so here it is, a few years later, after Gideon has died, that here is Elisha in that town, which I cannot pronounce, and he is living there in the in the in Midianites or with the Midianites there, but his name being named God is salvation. Now, how much truer, how much better could it be that he would be living in that town and being raised in that town in which Gideon had the battle won and God saw the victory and God made the victory and then that his son or the son of someone was born. And they named him Elisha to be God is salvation. No other, no other, uh, no, no greater name to be named that. <coughs> so we see the receiver, verse 16. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, and then he goes out, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Elisha, the son of Shaphat. If you were to name Elisha, I would say that you would name him the miracle prophet. He was followed immediately as soon as he, uh, he got put on the scene he began to do a miracle his first miracle was as soon as Elijah left I mean immediately he turned around and uh, he crossed the Red Sea or crossed the Jordan I'm sorry and and immediately he went to work and did miracles one miracle after another and that was 
the life of Elisha. So we see the receiver of the call. Number two, we see the reveal of the call. How did God reveal this to? Number one, we see the message in which God revealed. Look in verse number 16. And go back and you understand God is revealing his message to who? Elijah. And so Elijah was going to tell the message to Elisha. Now you say, what does that have to do with me? There are many times the preacher is given something from God to give to you. Now, I've always thought about this, and I've, in my mind I've always thought about this. What if I decided to stay home, and my kid was supposed to get saved that night at church? Yeah. What if? What if I decided to just skip church because I felt like it? I missed something that God had planned for me. You know, and, and as I look at this, this message was specifically given to Elijah. To give to Elisha. And I believe that God gives message to God's man for specific people. And I don't know, and I'm not saying I'm all knowing and all that kind of thing, but there was a couple weeks ago, uh, I was talking, I preached a sermon, I don't know, I can't remember the sermon I preached. And there was someone who, who called me after church. And told me, they said, that sermon was exactly what I needed. You know what? And I'm not trying to brag or pat myself on the back. But I didn't go out there and look. You know, I've heard preachers say, you know, I, I base all my messages on what's going on at my church. Look, I don't base any of my messages on what's going on at the church. What I try to do is try to let the Lord lead me. And if so happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But God leads. I try my best not ever to say, all right, this situation's going on, so I need to preach on that. I try not to do that, ever. Because I know that I could, I, I have flesh, I'm a man. I, I, no, that's wrong. And I feel like that's wrong. It is. That's my opinion. And so I try to allow the Holy Spirit to use me to speak to people. And it so much encouraged me that that, that person told me, man, that sermon was for me. Because God does give the preacher the word sometimes. And it's specifically for you. I've been set and I've go ahead, what was he gonna say? Many times it is. 
Yes. Uh, you know, I, I have a testimony. My nephew is not here with us anymore. But his family broke up. And he resorted to drinking. And we was living right here on Dorothy Drive. And he came over one Saturday evening and everything. It was Mardi Gras time and party time, you know. And he comes to tell me, so important as a preacher to be where I need to be because Elijah was where he was supposed to be he was in that he was in that secret cave by himself and God told him something he needed to know and that's why it's important as a preacher to be where I need to be and that's in with God and to make sure that I get what I need so that I can give to what everyone needs because if I'm not where I need to be I can't give to the church and the people what they need. Like, how did he know that this is what right. happened? Right. And 
God gave him that message. And then that man was there to hear it. But that's why it's important. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, okay? But that's why it's important to be in your place. And that's why it's important as a pastor to be in my place. And being in the Word. Because the Bible says in the book of Acts, in chapter number 7, the reason they, they decided to get, the reason they needed deacons was so that the preacher could give himself to the Word. And the, and the study of the Word. And uh, that's my job, is to study the Word. Uh, you know, I don't know that I ever completely understood it. We, I, it's been, I don't know, five, six years ago, we were sitting down talking, well, what do you pay the preacher for? What do you pay him for? It's to feed the flock. You don't pay the preacher to go make visits. You don't pay the preacher to go sowing. You don't, go, you don't pay the preacher to do any of that. You pay the preacher to feed the people. And if I'm not doing my job, if I'm not getting where I need to be, and getting the message from God, then I'm doing an in, injustice to every single person who decides to walk through those doors. Yeah, and then we are doing an injustice when we come through the doors and don't expect God to give us something. That's right. A lot of times when we expect God to give, He does. And we don't come in ready, He don't. Well, we come in distracted. Yeah. preacher and from a message but ultimately you need you need 
every Christian, no matter, regardless of how old they are, regardless of, of how, whatever they are, they need a message from God. And Elijah was in the right place at the right time, and God gave him the message. And then now, as well, this too, as a preacher, I've got to tell the message regardless of who I think that it will hurt or regardless of who I, I you know, I want to be friends with everybody. But I know that there's going to be a time I preach on a sin, and it may take somebody off, it may make somebody mad. But regardless of whether I, I want to or not, it's my responsibility to tell the message. I mean, homosexuality is still sin, and it's still wrong. And it doesn't matter who's sitting in the crowd, and it doesn't matter who, who's doing what or whatever. It's still wrong, and sin is still wrong, and it always will be. And the message that I have to preach is still the message that needs to be preached all the time. That's right. To repent of your sin. That's right. That's repent. right. Repent. And be saved. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's the gospel. And that's the message that can never change. No. Absolutely. But you know, life right. here was that it was where God told him to be. That's right.